welcome to the podcast. We've got fresh content from some of the brightest minds in the Bitcoin, blockchain, and crypto space. With feeds on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram that make it so incredibly easy to keep to the pulse of what's happening. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and even hit the share button to send to someone you know who would love to know about this totally free podcast. Huge thanks to our main sponsor, UnoCoin, who are not only India's leading crypto assets blockchain company, but also the reason why this podcast is available to you completely free of charge. With that said, let's jump into one of the Blockchain Impact Conference talks that took place in Toronto, Canada on December 8th, 2017. Enjoy. Uh, let's begin. So Bitcoin is essentially the world's first open source, decentralized digital currency and payment network. The reason that a lot of people find these technologies very confusing, I find, is that it's actually multiple things combined into one. So one of the one of the characteristics of, for example, Bitcoin is that it's a currency, kind of like gold, dollars, or rupees. The value of Bitcoin goes up and down, it's fairly volatile, but at the same time, um, it tends to go upwards. The, the other element of, uh, of this technology is that, that it also essentially is rails for moving value from one point to another. So it's analogous to uh, Visa, PayPal, or, um, or something like Western Union. And because you have both these technologies kind of combined into one, uh, oftentimes it's, it's kind of easy to find it really, really confusing. So, so um, when I, so just a little bit about my background, real quick. So I was uh, born and raised in Canada. I graduated as an electrical engineer. I uh, studied finances after graduating as an engineer. I actually ran my own financial brokerage for about four or five years. And I had this odd thing happen to me where the more I learned about finance, the less I felt like I understood. It. And then I felt that um, there were a lot, a lot of kind of basic fundamental questions about money that went unanswered. Things like, what is inflation? Or where does money come from? Or why is it that when I want to send my grandmother in India $100, uh, you know, middlemen take away $20 and it takes me a week to get that money to her? You know, why is it that when I want to buy a pizza on the phone, I have to give the guy on the phone the numbers that he needs to steal my money? Right? So there's all these little weird things about money that never really made sense. And everyone said, don't worry about it, that's just how it is. Um, and then I actually ended up leaving the financial industry before the big crash in 2008. And I spent about maybe eight years of my career uh, not in finance. I actually ended up in robotics. And I sold robots to uh, every university from Georgia Tech to University of Toronto to IITs to MITs. And, uh, and about five years ago, the CEO of my company said, hey, you know, why don't you go out to India and try and sell us some robots there? And I said, fine. I got on a plane and I went all the way out to uh, Bangalore and I, I started selling robots there. Around that time, I discovered the white paper for Bitcoin and became obsessed and just couldn't stop like thinking about it and couldn't help but feel that the Bitcoin white paper was essentially um, hinting towards the truth of, of what might be the solution to some of these problems that I'd sensed before. And so I went into hibernation for about six months. I, all I did was read the white paper. And if you haven't read the Bitcoin white paper, I suggest that you do. And when I came out of that slumber, I, uh, I decided that, because I didn't have any friends in Bangalore, I decided that I would start in the country, India's first Bitcoin meetup groups. And so what started off as me and two other people staring at each other eventually grew to thousands of people. And through that meetup group, 
Um, really, I ended up discovering, uh, or ended up finding Satvik, who's the CEO of UnoCoin today. And today we run India's biggest uh, blockchain company, Bitcoin company. And so, but before we, you know, kind of got there, it was, uh, it was a long road. We um, knew that we wanted to be in Bitcoin, but we didn't know where the opportunity was. And so, you know, we took the only approach that we knew to knew how to, which is we took a very scientific approach. We said, you know, in science class, what do you do? You have a hypothesis, and then you test it out, and you see if that hypothesis sticks. If it doesn't, you move on to something else. And so we tried, we ran the country's largest Bitcoin mining operation. We, um, we did Bitcoin conferences like these. We did lots of different things. But we always struggle to kind of identify a real, um, like a real home run. And so about four and a half years ago, um, we would have people show up at our meetups with big bags full of cash, saying, hey, I want to buy some Bitcoin from you guys. And you know, coming from the finance uh, kind of world, I, I realized that that probably wasn't the safest way to go about doing things. And at the same time, in places like Canada, the United States, and all over, it was very, very easy to buy Bitcoin. You can just log on to a website and you can buy, buy some Bitcoin. So what we did is we said, hey, instead of trying to build something that other people want, why don't we build something that we want? And at the time, there was no brokerage in India. So we said, let's scratch our own niche. Hint, hint, I think that's really the best way. If, any, if there are people in this room who are thinking about starting their own business, I, I really think that the best way to do it is by building a product for yourself. And, and the beauty of that is that that way, even if you, know, um, you build this thing and nobody else uses it, you'll have at least one person, right, <laughs> yourself. Um, and so we did exactly that. We said, hey, let's build something that we would want to use. And to our surprise, within about a week or two weeks of us launching our, our platform, um, you know, hundreds of people started coming onto the platform, started using it, started buying and selling Bitcoin, and we were off the races. Uh, six months into that, we essentially, uh, we essentially raised a round of financing from an entity called DCG, Digital Currency Group. Some of you may have heard of them. So DCG is um, one of the leading investors in this space. They've invested in uh, over 100 Bitcoin companies around the world, including Coinbase, which is worth over $2 billion, including um, you know, everyone from Ripple, there's uh, BitPay, uh, Kraken, they're all um, essentially been invested by DCG. So DCG invested in Unocoin as its kind of India bet. And that was about three years ago. And, and uh, we, were, we had maybe 10 or 12 employees. Um, we had maybe about 10,000 uh, users at the time. And then, uh, and then fast forwarding uh, over to about a year ago, um, we did another, we did another uh, fight, a capital raise where if you guys might have heard of the Drapers, so we went through the Boost program, so Tim Draper and Adam Draper. Um, we also, uh, we also uh, went through Funders Club, they're investors of ours, and uh, Bloom Ventures out of India. And so there's a whole range of kind of different investors that came together to, to support our last round. But the thing I wanted to mention is, is that at Unocoin, it took us three years to get to our first 100,000 users. So it took us three years to get to 100,000 users. Um, today we're adding about 100,000 users every two weeks, right? Just to give you kind of the the rate at which uh, this space is accelerating. It's really, really staggering. Um, and 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 for us, it was really our mission from the beginning was to bring Bitcoin to billions, and we wanted to just make money simple. We thought that money was overly complicated and it didn't need to be, and we thought Bitcoin could potentially solve a lot of these problems. 
So what are some of the big applications that we see of Bitcoin technology in India? So one of the biggest applications is, you may have heard of this, is that Bitcoin is often referred to as digital gold, right? Does anybody know why it's called digital gold? Anyone want to take a guess? No? Why is Bitcoin called digital gold? Tone? It's limited. Exactly. So gold, so again, I'm not, I wasn't born in India, but it gets harder and harder to find. I wasn't born in India, but I've spent a lot of time there. I run a business there. My mom's sitting in the middle here. She loves gold. Indian women own more gold than the United States government. Did you know that? Right? So gold is huge in India. Here, it's not such a big deal. In India, literally, come payday, there's a lineup at the bank for people to turn their cash into gold. So, um, so why is gold, um, you know, not just valued in India, but all over the world? And, and you ask yourself questions like, you know, where did gold, like, why, where does money come from? Right? And that was one of the big questions that we, that we at Unicorn, we were always asking ourselves. And, uh, and if you look at it, it's actually a really interesting story, right? If you look at like the history of money, people think that, that well, these pieces of paper in our pocket with people's faces on it, this is money. But that's not where money actually originated from, right? Money originated from a societal need. It wasn't something that government said, oh, you must use this. It was actually a need. And the need arose from, well, actually, if you should break it down, it's very simple. Let's say, let's just rewind 100,000 years ago. I'm in the middle of a jungle. I just killed a caribou for my family. I'm going to go take it home. And all of a sudden, Tom comes to me in the middle of the jungle and he says, Sonny, you know, I got a family too, but I'm just not as big as you, maybe not as strong as you. Can you help me? Can you share some of your caribou? And I tell him, you know what, buddy? I, either I say I don't like you, or if I do like him, I might turn to him and say, here, here, have some. But in that moment, he, what are the chances, what are the chances that he would happen to have the three cups of rice that, I, that my family needs? It's actually probably non-existent. So in fact, what would happen is people would literally just maintain a ma mental ledger, a subjective ledger. So I would literally just remember that I gave Tone some caribou or some meat, and he would remember, and maybe six months down the road, we would see each other again, and we would say, hey, look, I give you some rice, you owe me. Right? And, and people literally just remember this stuff, and the important thing is in a mental ledger. But that didn't seem very efficient. So what did people start doing? They started using things like seashells, so some tribes they use things like salt, right? And but the problem with that was that let's say for example my tribe over here is using sea seashells, seashells, and the tribe over there is using salt. How can my tribe and his tribe trade? They can't. So essentially, what happened is, is uh, for the first time ever, um, we, so we had subjective ledgers in our head. We moved to objective ledgers, like using seashells and things of that sort. And for the first time, about ten thousand years ago, humanity started using things like um, universal ledgers. And what's a universal ledger? Gold. Gold acts as a ledger system because it's limited in nature. Because gold can be, for example, if, he, if I give him the caribou, he can give me a tiny bit of gold or in exchange for a house or bread. I can give him gold and it, and it stands as a measure of accounting to keep kind of tabs of what's happening. And so gold, again, emerged naturally, not you know by force, but, but essentially naturally from the free market as a form of money. Um, and then about you know, 50, 60 uh, years ago, uh, what happened is, is that you know, we had this fiat-based system where you know, people started using dollars that would be backed by gold. And then at a certain point, the United States government said, hey, look, we're so powerful, we don't need to back our money with gold. We'll just back everybody else's money with our money. And that's 
kind of a good thing, I guess. But um, as we heard, uh, you know, Edmund Moy talk about today, right? The government has a monopoly on money, and he was the guy that was at the printing press. I mean, the mint. He was literally the guy at the U.S. Mint, and he is saying that perhaps there's room for competition, right? Maybe the free markets can come back to life and, uh, and propose a challenge to Bitcoin, to, to the fiat currencies that we have today. And so the problems with some of the fiat currencies that we have today is, is that, you guys, remember we talked about inflation at the beginning of this? So, you know, do we know why inflation happens? Anybody? Brian, you want to take a guess? Too much, Too much printing money. Exactly, right? So even young guys know this now. So the reason, so you know when you have $100 and you put it in your, under your mattress, a year later that $100 is worth 97 You can't even buy the same shoes you could buy a year ago. But why does our money lose value? Like, do we ever ask ourselves these questions? Like, I started to, but I stopped because people would just say, oh, don't ask those questions. But I found out later that the reason your money loses value is because we print so much of it. We print more and more and more every single year. So Bitcoin stands for something a little bit different. Bitcoin uh, isn't something that you can just print willy-nilly. You can't just change the supply. There's actually a fixed supply, and the supply um, actually tends towards 21 million by the year 2140. And it is, like Tone said, one of the first real forms of scarce money. And, and when I say it's really scarce, it's digitally scarce, you cannot create more than 21 million Bitcoins, period. But guess what? With gold, tomorrow we could find out that some temple in India just found 50 tons of gold. Or you could find out that, oh, there's this new technology that Elon Musk discovered and they're going to take down you know, a comet in the, middle of the, in the middle of space and now we've got infinite amounts of gold. My point is, is even that perfect form of money that all of us use for many years isn't really perfect. But Bitcoin essentially emulates uh, gold, and it is essentially this, this beautiful form of digital gold, right? Um, now, why is that exciting? So, like I said, we were, I run a company in India where we are essentially testing the hypothesis that Bitcoin may be a better form of money, maybe a better form of gold. And I would say about 40 to 50 percentage of our use case of people using our, of our platform is actually using it as a form of preserving their wealth. When I bought my first Bitcoin at about $15, and today's Bitcoin's worth $20,000. That's a much better store of value um, in terms of like when I work hard than you know, something that loses 3% or 4% every single year, right? So, so digital gold is, again, one, I would say, very, very exciting part of this like Bitcoin movement. I know a lot of the speakers today are they're gonna talk about blockchain, some people are gonna talk about ICOs, but I'm here to tell you that the real revolution is Bitcoin. I, I'm, and I'm a big believer in Bitcoin, and even though the news and sometimes you hear negative things about it, um, I would actually not listen to that as much and really try and do your own research, go to the internet, and try and learn as much as you can. The second big use case that we're finding at our, at our company, uh, that why people are using Bitcoin, is, is for the purpose of remittance, is for the purposes of sending money over, over borders. Now, if you think about it today, right, if I want to send an email to, let's say, my father-in-law in Bogota, I can actually do that at the click of a button, it takes seconds, and it doesn't cost me any money. But why is it that if I want to send him $100, and it takes a week or something, and they take like $20? That just doesn't seem fair. In a day and age when money is nothing more than information, why is it that it costs so much money and so much time to send money? So. Um, 
with things like Bitcoin, this is really starting to change. I would say about 20% of our user base in India, and oh, so not only is India the largest gold market, India is also the largest inward remittance market as well. And these are two reasons why we think Bitcoin is super exciting there. Um, but we're seeing more and more people saying that, saying, hey, I used to use PayPal, or I used to use Western Union, and I used to lose, if I got $1,000 for my Silicon Valley um, counterpart, maybe I get $920 from my bank account four days later. And that's not acceptable. But with using Bitcoin, and using UnoCoin, and using different solutions that we provide, people get their money within the hour, and uh, they get all their money. And so just think of someone like who's really poor maybe in India, they, for them, you know, um, $80, uh, is a lot of money. So, so if we can help them prevent time, it's also important. So uh, for, from our case, those are the two big use cases that we've seen. Yes, sir? So where does the profit come from? So the question was, is uh, where does the profit come from? How do we make money as a company? So as a company, we make money in two different ways. The first way uh, we make money is we have something called a fee. So if somebody buys Bitcoin on our, on our platform, we charge a 1% fee. So, if, and now the other way that companies like ours also make money is there's sometimes a tiny spread, or maybe not so tiny spread sometimes in, in terms of between the buy and the sell price. So on our platform, we're a brokerage platform, um, but then there's also you know order book exchanges as well, um, which is something we're looking into launching. Uh, maybe I'll just pause there. Any questions? I've been kind of blabbering on. Yes, sir. Yeah. And the, the only issue that I see with that is that there seems to be like an apparent amount of um, trademark infringement on Bitcoin. You know, like you can't just open a company and call it McDonald's hamburgers because McDonald's will come after you. But you know, we see today now we've got Bitcoin cash, gold, diamond, platinum, and there's just money like you know spooning into all these other side companies, and nobody's really protecting the Bitcoin trademark itself. That's what I'm saying, yeah, so don't, don't you see that as an increase in the amount of supply? That's a good question. I mean, I don't, I don't know if, uh, I mean, Tom probably has a much better answer than I think. Go ahead. Uh, uh, I've been saying that for a while, that uh, it is. If you believe in all coins, then you really don't believe that this one has a supply. Yeah, exactly. I, I, I think that all old coins are going zero. I'm okay with that. Right? Yeah, I, I, I think these arguments, people are like, well, Bitcoin's going to have all this competition. I'm like, well, then you don't believe in hard money. So it's, it's a really interesting debate. I, yeah, I think so too. I, think I wanted to hear Tone's uh, perspective. But I, so even though we have a bunch of people that represent ICOs at this event, just on a personal note, I, I've never put a penny into an ICO. Um, and so I, I tend to agree with Tone that I, I think that a lot of the you know, forks, a lot of the clones, uh, for me, are not very exciting. Um, and, and by the way, when somebody creates a fork and calls it Bitcoin Cash or whatever, um, it's important to know that that's not Bitcoin. So Bitcoin is still limited. Um, but because of the open source nature of Bitcoin, people can fork it, they can make their own versions of it. Um, but I, I, but you, regarding your question about trademark, is the word internet trademark? Yeah, I was gonna say that also. Is it, I don't know, I'm just a question, but like, I don't imagine it to be, but you know, I could go call something, create something and call it Internet Sunny. But I doubt anybody would use it. Uh, maybe a few would, but it's a bit of a problem on the other side. If someone did not control the trademark, then it could be, could end in a bunch of wordplay. Right. Yeah. But I mean, people are using the alternatives. Like, you recall, you're not saying that people are using different 
God. Oh, I, I spent I spent yesterday. Actually, is the guy from uh, uh, Neo here? No. Look, he's, he's outside. So some of you may have heard of Neo NV, which is a company out of Cyprus that was doing Bitcoin and whatnot. And uh, I was talking to him about the bail-ins. Is anyone aware of what the bail-ins are? No. Nobody knows what a bail. So has anyone heard of the bailout? So a bailout is what? It's where banks get bailed out by the government, right? A bail-in is, okay, I'm not even kidding about this. This actually happened, and he's saying it's gonna happen in India. The, in Cyprus, which is a country, when the governments and banks ran out of money, this is about, what, three years ago? They literally went into everybody's bank account, and if you had more than $100,000, they took half of it. That they took half of it. Just Google the word bail-in, and he's saying it's coming to India, which will again help well, Bitcoin. Actually, forget India. I don't even Canada is considering it. So. There you go. There you go. So you're you're living in it. So anyway, so but yeah, so I'm sure that'll that'll. And again, people wonder why people are so interested in Bitcoin, right? It's just that. Sound money. Um, any other questions? So I, I wanted to actually give the next 15 minutes to a, another gentleman. Uh, he's uh, one of the founders of a company called Ucash. I'm really, really excited about it. So what Ucash is looking to do is they're actually partnering with um, money service businesses. So you know when you walk down Yonge Street and every second store is like a Western Union or a... So they're actually going into those stores and converting those stores into places where people can buy and sell Bitcoin. Um, and I think that's just super, super exciting. So please help me welcome uh, Brian Fan. Don't miss a like, subscribe, and share with a friend you think would appreciate the send. Up next, more talks from past conferences. Thanks for listening.